on. Yeah. Got it. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the third installment of the series entitled The Kingdom of God is Like. Let us pray. Our blessed, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and this time. Father, we thank you not only that you allowed us the opportunity to awake this morning, Father, and gave us opportunities throughout the day to allow those around us to see you living in us. And Father, we thank you for this evening as we take the opportunity, Father, to rejuvenate, to be renewed. All of us have difficult things that we go through during the week, and that this midweek service that we participate in, Father, is a wonderful opportunity, Father, for us to regroup and let it take us through the remainder of the week. Fathers, we are here tonight, Father, to to take part in this lesson and hear the word here, Father. May we look for ways that we can apply to our lives, ways that will help us grow. Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful for those who are here present as well as those who are online. And Father, we pray that throughout this thing known as the holiday period, period Father, that that the enthusiasm that that we that we uh, build up during this time, we allow that to be the enthusiasm we have the other months of the year as well, because you are a twenty four seven God, you are a three hundred and sixty five day a week God. Father, we thank you so very much for hearing our prayers this day. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. The kingdom of God is like. In this lesson, what we are going to use is a farm analogy to explain the natural growth and development of God's kingdom. The text that we are going to be referring to is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. We'll be over there in a moment. And what we find when we look at this text is that, like Jesus, Paul used many illustrations to explain the inner workings of, of God's kingdom and the spiritual world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he begins by comparing working in the kingdom of heaven on earth, which is the church, to, to working on a, on a farm. And I think, I think the reason he does this is to, is to help us understand, uh, rather in a practical way, what our ministries in the church actually mean in relationship to the big picture. And brethren, we find ourselves in a situation where we have never been before. And I hope, I hope we never have to experience this again. As such, our elders, your elders, have made decisions which, rather after much prayer, that we take full responsibility for, we take full ownership of. Some of these decisions have led to frustration, some have led to discouragement, but all of them have been intended to encourage us. All of them have been intended to, to, to lift us up. All of those decisions have been made in love. It's easy 
to become frustrated. It's easy to become discouraged if we don't see how or what we are doing in a specific area fit into the, into the whole. For instance, how does my getting a vaccination help? How does my wearing a mask help? How does social distancing fit into the whole? This is why smart companies, smart companies give employees orientation training in the, in the goals and overall operation of the business. They do this so that the individual can see the place and importance that his or her contribution makes to the final product. Brethren, our elders, your elders have not done a very good job of communicating this to you all, I believe. For this, we also take ownership. For this, we also take full responsibility. But also say this to us. Brethren, our congregation, your congregation, needs your help. When we talk about this orientation training mindset, Paul is doing this and is doing this in 1 Corinthians 3, and he's doing it by explaining the overall cycle that must take place in the normal development of a church. In so doing, he is hoping to dispel feelings of pride, feelings of despair that's felt by various individuals because that happened to be a rather they happen to be at some high point or some low point in the normal cycle of church growth. He chooses the farming illustration to explain this because his readers would easily understand the imagery here. Since farming was the, the oldest cycle, cycles known to man, with the farming model, he explains the natural evolution or of growth in the church and how each believer is an important part of that growth to happen. It is no different at our lost church here on the Bar Road in Anchorage, Alaska. I take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The Bible reads, And I, brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet ready. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For one says, I am a Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? And the answer is this, servants through whom you believed even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. 
So Paul begins by rebuking the readers for their immature attitude. He compares them to to spiritual babes who are not yet ready to begin eating a regular diet of spiritual food. The reason for this rebuke is that, that they are jealous of one another. They are divided into groups. And Paul says that, that in doing this, they are worse than spiritual babes. They are mere men. They are unspiritual men. They are men without God's spirit. The reason for their jealousy, the reason for their division was that they were aligning themselves to, to with rather different church leaders and, and claiming their work and their success as their own. So in response to their partisanship, Paul explains the true role of these people as equal servants in a cycle of growth begun and maintained by God. In explaining the task of he and Apollos, and Apollos, uh, just in case you didn't know, was a great orator. He was a, he was a, he was a great preacher of that time. And Paul establishes a model for all future workers to refer to when, when comparing what they are doing to the overall work and growth of the church. In verse 5, he says that all workers, regardless of their tasks or where they are in the cycle, they are all equal because all are working toward the same end. And that end is this, producing faith in Christ Jesus in the hearts of others. And no worker can boast since the opportunity to serve. No worker can boast because the tools to serve with, and later on he would say, even the results, all of these are provided by God. No servant, therefore, can, can boast because all begin with nothing and are completely supplied for the task by God. By implication, Paul is telling his readers that if he and Apollos cannot boast, then neither can their so-called followers boast. Verse 6, the Bible reads, I planted, Apollos watered, but God but God was causing the growth. In verse 6, he applies the cycle found in farming and gardening to the cycle of growth we experience in God's kingdom here on earth. And I'm talking about the church. He mentions three phases in that cycle. And the fact that each one represents a place and a type of work we find ourselves in as Christians serving in the church of our Lord. So that's why it's important for us to get to get this. And he starts out with phase one and that is planting. Think about this for a moment. 
especially for we who have been farmers, we know exactly what I'm talking about here. There is no crop without first the seeds being sown into the earth. In the church, sowing of seed or, or planting is essentially spreading the gospel to all nations. Jesus alluded to this in the, in the parable of the sower and the seed. Uh, you can read that in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Now, as a matter of fact, he says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And he said this when he was going about the business of explaining this parable to his disciples. The Lord also made this to be his basic command as the first task of the apostles after his resurrection. At, at Mark chapter 16, at verse 15, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creations. In Matthew, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the sower sows the word. You begin or restart with seeding. And there are many ways to do this seeding. For example, missionaries go into foreign countries. We have advertisement with the technology that we have today. We have radio and TV, internet, the VBSs that we do, the lectureships that we do, the youth, the youth forums and, 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 and the ladies and men's retreat, the, the faith museum that's coming up next month. We have visitation programs, personal studies. Soon, soon, our brethren will receive house-to-house, heart-to-heart publications. These mailings will then branch out in a quarter to the community around us. You see, every effort is to bring the gospel to those who haven't heard it before is part of the planting effort. Planting. If you ever been out there in that field plowing, you know this. Planting is hard work. It's an uphill type of work. We need great faith. We must be able to, to work with little encouragement. We must be ready not to receive much credit for what you have done. It's usually a lonely kind of work because we labor with hope and a vision that only a few people can see. Abraham, Noah, and the Apostle Paul were seed planters and they set the example for modern day seed sores in every congregation. Think about this for a moment. People who had a vision back in the 1940s and the 1950s to plant churches in our present location. Just just think about the vision that must have taken place however many years ago when those two congregations got together, bought this spot of land here, and, and visualized having this building here, and visualized having brethren come here to worship. Think of the vision of those men, people we don't even know who are now gone. Of course, the reward for visionaries is a faith that is rock solid. It's rock solid as a result of the vision that they have received in serving in the kingdom. 
in the end, in the end, the planners, the sowers, the visionaries feel close to God and are continually and easily filled with awe and praise as we see in Paul's writings where he spontaneously breaks out in praise and joy, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And brethren, tell you something, (laughs) where we are right now, this pandemic that we're going through, these are indeed difficult circumstances. But by God's grace, we too can spontaneously break out in praise and joy. Why? Because this is the true spirit of planters. This is the true spirit of seed sores. So cycle one is planting. Number two is watering. Paul claims that Apollos was a waterer, a nourisher, a builder upper, if you will. Now, this is usually the the longest stage in both the cycle of farming and in church growth. The seed is planted with hard work to break up the soil and to remove debris. Then the farmer waits patiently. He waits patiently for the rain to nourish the seed and the earth. For the church, the watering stage involves Things such as organizing, ministering to others, persevering in a task, teaching the Bible year in and year out. In some cases, building buildings like so many years ago when this building was built, training teachers, helping ministers to mature, strengthening families, developing leaders as well as establishing good community relations. Brethren, at the Lord's Church on the Bar Road, there is work to be done in all of these areas. Work that we must accomplish together. You see, brethren, I don't know if we got this yet, but I hope we do. When it comes to our congregation... And and I I say our congregation a lot for this reason right here. I am an elder of Anchorage Church of Christ, and my primary responsibility is Anchorage Church of Christ. Yes, we pray for the brothers of the places, but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, or when they say the pedal hit the metal, it is right here at Anchorage Church of Christ. So when it comes to our congregation, by God's grace... We will succeed as a family. But at the same time, we need to know this. Without God, we take God out of the mix and we will surely fail as a family. But understand this about God. Our God is a God of victory. He is not a God of failure. Planting is hard. Watering is tedious. It's slow, grinding, sometimes repetitive and monotonous. It's discouraging at times because it is often a case of one step forward and two steps backwards. And I can tell you this right here. (laughs) Sometimes there are many late nights, large responsibilities, sacrifices, and not much gratitude from the brethren at times. 
When we look at other waterers, we see people like Solomon who consolidated his father's David gains and later spent decades building an elaborate temple. And this sometimes shames us because we want construction in a month or a year instead of years. Barnabas, uh, a mentor of Paul and Mark, they were waterers. The apostle John, who, who did not have to move around much in his ministry, remained a long time in teaching and building the church in Ephesus and Asia Minor. He's another example of one who worked at his task as a waterer for decades. But let's come back home. We have these kind of servants here today at the church on the Bar Road. We have elders who serve with their wives and keep a steady hand for years. Deacons who work hard with little recognition. Teaching and ministers who are here day in and day out to a point that we take them for granted. They are always there when we need them. Then there's those brothers and sisters who are responsible for uh, uh, preparing food, uh, who are responsible rather for a thousand acts of kindness such as visiting the sick, preparing food, serving in, in child care. They are the quiet waters that continuously nourish this congregation. Now, I have not mentioned all who deserve to be mentioned, and I know that. Only a few to help you understand the kind of person and the kind of work watering is. The reward for waterers is that their work etches into their character over time and and you begin to see the true workings of hope, of strength, and the most precious of virtues, godly humility in them. Waterers feel close to God's people and know his ways intimately. This gives them them great confidence for the future and a hope that cannot be shaken. You are judged and compared to others who come before you and as leaders have to cope with new problems that have not been faced before. I'm 68 years old, and I'll be honest with you. And I've been serving, I've served as an elder at two congregations. I'll be honest with you. I have never faced a pandemic as an elder. <laughs> and don't wish to do it again. But you know what? By God's grace, by God's grace, we are currently coping with something new. When I say we, I'm talking about this family. This family. You see, people like Joshua, who took over from Moses and and settled a land already subdued by others, was, was one who worked a harvest period. And Peter, along with other apostles, enjoyed a great harvest from Jesus' ministry, but had the task of leading the early church through the first difficult years of its existence. Planters, waterers, and then they're the harvesters. Today, our
present or your present elders, deacons, and ministers are very much into this phase as they, as we strive to find the direction and new goals to reach based on the achievements of past generations. Of course, there is a reward for harvesters too. Their task is a joyful one. Yeah, sometimes some have almost brought me to tears, but in the end, it was joyful. They have many resources to work with. They have the blessings of God's power at work. Harvesters get an early taste of heaven and experience experience the pleasure of having a thankful heart. Harvesting at third phase. Jesus promised that those who are faithful to sow seed and work the soil will have a harvest of some kind, sometimes 30, sometimes 60, sometimes 100 fold. The work of harvesters includes baptizing souls who are coming to Christ Jesus, especially in developing nations and our communities, managing the growth caused by years of work by others. And that could include things like operating Christian schools or writing books or organizing great demonstrations of praise and worship. It includes things like what we have coming up, like the Faith Museum. It includes uh, the lectureship. It includes the men's breakfasts. It includes the ladies and men's uh, retreats. It includes the youth activities. Harvesting includes a lot of things. But you know, as elders, what we try to do, and we meet with Tony, and we're going to have more meetings than just once a year, because we were talking about this the other day, and what we were saying, we need to meet once a month to talk about the future of this congregation. We don't need to wait until this thing is over and start talking about it then. We need to talk about it now. So when this thing is over, we're ready to go with it. So planning for the next plateau of growth in any size congregation and finding other good works to glorify God and edify the church. Harvesting. It has its own unique set of challenges. However, as harvesters, you are the steward of the hard work of others and receive little credit for what you accomplished. Now that we've had a bird's eye view of this model of growth, let's draw a few practical lessons for our own situation here today as we follow in Jesus' footsteps in doing the work of the kingdom, the work of planters, the work of waterers, the work of harvesters. Lesson one, church work and church growth is cyclical. No one person, no one congregation is exclusively in one place. 
We go from one stage to another in our personal ministries as well as the development of a congregation. And there's something about this. Knowing this helps us not become too proud. Knowing this helps us not to become too discouraged. Knowing this helps us not to fall into that rut and stay there. Why? Because it is a cycle. We should always be prepared for change and learn to be flexible in order to accommodate the various phases in the life of a congregation. It's it's like my boss used to tell me all the time. She said, you know, she said, change is constant. And it is. It is. Number two, know where you are in the cycle. If we were a church with empty pews, we should not waste our time talking about a building program. And a church with crowded classrooms needs both a building program and a teacher training program. Wise leaders, and your elders are striving to be this, and we do make mistakes. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Um, But wise leaders learn to discern where the congregation is in its cycle and plan for the next phase. This is something our elders, your elders, our preacher, your preacher, are in the process of doing. And our hope is this, as we go about the business of doing this and doing a better job of informing you and helping you see where you fit into the big picture or into the whole, we're hoping that this breeds confidence in us as your leaders and provide a clear direction for our, your congregation. Lesson three, Jesus is the Lord of every harvest. Jesus is the Lord of every harvest. Paul says it this way at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 starting at verse 7. He says this. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But God causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul here reminds us that no matter where we are in the cycle... No matter what task has been assigned to us. He reminds us that the Lord is the one who will cause the seed to grow. We see this in verse 7. Then Paul does something else. Paul reassures us. He reassures them. He reassures us that 
Each point in the cycle and, and, and each task performed is the same in God's eyes. If you are doing the planting, God says great. If you are doing the watering, God says great. If you are doing the harvesting, God says great. And as the increase come back, God says great. God is in control of it all. Like Ken said on Sunday, God is the one in control. And that's how we need to look at things. It is not about what I have done. It's about what God is doing through me. It's about what God is doing through you. Seed planters have no greater glory than waterers or harvesters. They are all equal tasks in God's eyes. He will reward based on how you worked, not on what you worked at. I.e., if you serve well in the nursery, you will be rewarded. And by the same token, if we as your elders neglected responsibility of his elders, we will receive our just reward. Brethren, we take this job very seriously. We really do. Finally, in verse 9, Paul explains that while you are busy working on your ministry, Whatever that is, and, and whatever point in the cycle you're at, God is busy working on you. You see, if you've been in the military, you know what I'm talking about here in the time of your theater of operation. You see, your theater of operation, my theater, our theater of operation, it's the world. It's the world. And the task is to fill that world with the knowledge of Christ Jesus. But you see, God has a theater of operation as well. God has a theater of operation as well. And God's theater of operation is your heart and my heart. And his task is to fill it with the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So you see, as you work, as we work for him in this world, He is at work to prepare you, to prepare me for the world to come. And this also is part of the cycle. So where are you in this cycle of your life? Are you in the endless cycle of sin and shame and failure? If so, why not break out of this rut? Why not come to Christ Jesus today so that he might set you free from the guilt, set you free from the fear, and begin the cycle of love, begin the cycle of joy, begin the cycle of anticipation of heaven rather than the dread of condemnation. Now, if you want to be free, come to Jesus now by repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in him. And being buried in the waters of baptism, if you haven't done that already, to wash away the old cycle of sin and death and begin the new cycle of peace and joy. If you're already there, amen, then I encourage you to stay the course. Stay the course and seek the opportunity to plant. Seek the opportunity to water. Seek the opportunity to harvest. Seek the opportunity to not only increase your faith, but increase faith of the world. Now in a moment, we will be participating in a devotional. At its conclusion, all present would have an opportunity to come forward and express your needs. 
if you're joining us online, you will notice on the slide there's a, a, a website, there's a phone number, there's an email address, there's even a physical address. You may contact our congregation by one of those means and let us know what your needs are. Thank you for joining us tonight. Join us next week as we do the final installment of this series entitled, The Kingdom of God is Like. Thank you.